The Better Understanding Podcast is an invitation, an open-hearted extended hand to increase our ability to work, lead, and live with one another more effectively. The premise and philosophy of the podcast is that it all begins with understanding ourselves and understanding others. In season one, and with some of the most successful experts and leaders of diversity and inclusion efforts in the world, we explored what it means to lead inclusively. In season two, we are bringing to life our Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Arrive and Thrive, via powerful stories, earned wisdom, and lessons learned from some of the world's preeminent leaders and thrivers. Join me, Susan McEntee Brady, as we explore how to arrive and thrive. I am so happy to introduce today's Better Understanding podcast guest, Tiffany Dufu. Tiffany is very much a catalyst at large in the world of women's leadership and the author of Drop the Ball, a memoir and manifesto that shows women how to cultivate the single skill they really need in order to thrive. We're going to talk more about that. According to forward contributor Gloria Steinem, Drop the Ball is important, path-breaking, intimate, and brave. I recommend it highly. Tiffany's been named to Fast Company's League of Extraordinary Women, and she's the founder and CEO of through a peer coaching platform for women looking to accelerate their professional and personal growth. She was a launch team member to Lean In and was Chief Leadership Officer at Level, one of the fastest growing millennial professional networks. Prior to that, Tiffany served as president of the White House Project as the major gifts officer right here at Simmons University in Boston and as associate director of development at Seattle Girls School. Tiffany serves on the board of Girls Who Code and Simmons University. We're lucky to have her. She's a member of Women's Forum New York and Delta Sigma Theta Sorority and is a lifetime Girl Scout. My co-authors and I interviewed Tiffany for Arrive and Thrive, and her wisdom is featured in the practice about inspiring a bold vision. This woman is a thriver, and I'm so, so glad to have her today. Tiffany, welcome to the Better Understanding Podcast, and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Oh, it's a joy. Thank you for having me. And thank you for your leadership and writing this book and in supporting women and accelerating their dreams. That's what it's all about. Boy, it is. I tell you what, I would love to start off with talking about how your dreams were accelerated. Is there anything you want our listeners to know about you that I didn't already mention? Well, the most important thing to know about me, which they probably got from reading the intro was that my life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I am on the planet. Every job I've had, every dollar I've donated, every board I've sat on, every book I've contributed to or written, every article, even every social media post is somehow focused on how we harness women and girls' power and ingenuity for the benefit of all of us. And it's why I'm so excited about Arrive and Thrive and be having this conversation with you. I just love that. You're so clear. You're so clear. Every time I talk with you, you're like, yeah, this is what I stand for in the world. So let's just dive in. What is a bold vision you're finding yourself inspiring others about these days? Is it what you just said? Well, what I just articulated is what I would call my purpose, my reason for being. And it's why I wake up in the morning. But as we go through our life's journeys, because we have this larger context of the world that we live in, we often find ourselves needing to align our gifts, our talents, our skills, our abilities with solving real problems in the world. And the problem that I'm trying to solve for right now 
is that we have a lot of women in the workforce, particularly in middle management, who are having a hard time ascending. And companies are having a hard time figuring out how they meet the desires and needs of this demographic in order to ensure that they can retain them because there are a lot of options these days. But because of my purpose, how do we get them into the highest levels of leadership? So I'm very focused on how do we unleash women's potential relative to their professional careers, their personal lives as well. But how do we figure out how to clog the leaky pipeline in terms of their talent in the workplace and how we need them where they are to ensure that they're getting what they need in order to thrive. Okay. Okay. So since you brought this up, let's go here for a second. The premise of Arrive and Thrive is for women navigating leadership. We spend some time in the introduction talking about why, and then the practices are obviously personal to women because we believe these are essential if we are to experience thriving, never mind arriving. When you say there's stagnancy, right? Things aren't moving. We're not accelerating, advancing as quickly. What's the remedy you're finding you're talking about with senior executives and organizations and with women? How do we create the change we're looking to create? Yes, there's three things right now that we're finding in my work at The Crew. And we're a company that basically matches women in accountability circles to help them meet their life goals. So we have a lot of data around what women's goals are and what they're trying to achieve, but also what their stumbling blocks are. And in relationship to work, there are basically three things that what we call women in the middle really need in order for them to feel like they want to be where they are and that their employer really cares about them. Uh, The first is meaning everyone's on a quest to live a purposeful life these days. And so in as much as employers can align what their talent is doing with actual meaning in their lives is really important. The second is advancement, but not in the traditional way that we think of advancement. They don't just want a promotion. They don't just want more money. They want to see evidence evolution of the self. They want to know that they are growing and learning and sometimes very organic and in deeper ways. And then the third is they want integration, but not just hybrid work or flexibility integration, they actually are expecting their employers to value and acknowledge all of the parts of their lives in a much more holistic way than we traditionally have. They want for their employer to acknowledge and value the holistic nature of their life in a way that We traditionally haven't expected employers to. And part of this has to do with what's happening in the world. It's the decline of people who are attending church, the decline of people living in neighborhoods where they have a larger community. So people are actually putting a lot of pressure on corporations and on employers to actually provide an experience that we used to get from civic life, from community life from church life. And now everybody's expecting that they're going to get that at work. But if employers can meet the need for meaning, for advancement, and for integration, they have a much higher likelihood of retaining their talent. And then, of course, women talk about great employment experiences. And so it also has a ripple effect to be an attractive place for women in terms of brand. And while everyone needs to learn about the advancement of women, I want to talk about thriving and also developing a bold vision. You may or may not remember 
But when we interviewed you for Ride and Thrive, you said you must be comfortable with your ambition and with your conviction that your vision will change the world. Can you say a little bit about the important things it takes to develop a bold vision and what happens when we don't pay attention to this aspect of ourselves? Yes. So when I was talking about that, I was in part talking about before you even have a vision, you having had either a vision or simply a belief in yourself. So you have to have a very strong sense of your own worthiness and your own ability to achieve results far and above what's in a job description in order for you to have the audacity to admit that your idea is going to change the world. I mean, when you think about the idea of a bold vision and your belief in that, you really have to have a strong sense of yourself. Some of us are really fortunate and that we had early childhood experiences that helped us to shape and develop a strong sense of ourselves. I fall in that bucket. I had a mother every day told me, Tiffany, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're loved. Deep, 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 deep down inside, I believed that, though I waver uh, pretty much every day um, because I'm a human being. And so I fundamentally believe that my ideas matter, that my feelings matter, and that with enough hard work and ingenuity, but most importantly, by engaging other people, I can do great things, that I'm here to do great things. For me, it's also centered in a sense of responsibility to people who have come before me. So depending upon your cultural background, your heritage, even sometimes your socioeconomic status, you might have a sense that there are people that I'm sitting on the shoulders of or that I have a legacy that I need to fulfill. And I certainly feel when I think about where my parents came from, what they did, what they were able to accomplish with what they had, I feel that I have a responsibility to put forth a bold idea and a bold vision and then to leverage myself and my community in order to create change because what else? What else is there? What else is there here, you know, to do? If you... We're not so fortunate as to have had someone whispering those affirmations in your ear when you were growing up. There are all kinds of ways now for you to develop that sense of self, whether it's through coaching. I personally obviously believe in a crew uh, and being very selective about who you spend time with and surround yourself with. But I think that that's really the root of it. And then, of course, putting forth a bold vision requires that you have people that you can encourage and inspire to help you carry it out. Typically, bold visions are not something we imagine we're going to do all by ourselves. We need other people. So being able to enable them, you know, other people to achieve some shared purpose in the face of uncertainty is also required. And I, I think that that's where a bold vision really matters and can come in because it's hard to get people to do difficult things without them having an understanding that what they're doing is going to have great impact. And I think that's your responsibility as the leader to really ignite and inspire them to believe in something much greater than themselves. So that's the, the root of the vision, but also 
the importance that I feel that it has in us being able to enable others. I love that. So what I heard you say is a core belief in yourself to be able to achieve the results in the first place, but also that you bring a strong sense of your own worthiness into the picture, uh, a sense of responsibility to those who came for you, right? I think we all stand, at least I know I stand on the shoulders of giants here in the mission of the Institute. Um, and then I heard you say, you know, we move and shift to enable others. We need, we need to inspire others. Let's break down vision a little bit more. So it's like, okay, great. I understand all of what you just said conceptually. I can see myself wrapping my arms around that. But what about the what? What, how do you decode seeing something to begin with that needs to be done? Because I'm very committed to a particular demographic. So then I'm, I will use the word obsessed. I was going to not use that word because it sounds so dramatic, but I am pretty much obsessed with solving her problem because I need her to help me change the world. And I think that when there's either a problem that you land on that you really want to solve for or a group of people that you care deeply about that you're trying to enable or, or solve, you know, a problem that they have, then it really helps you to feel pressure to figure out what is the solve and how are you positioned as a leader to do things differently. So I don't think that you start certainly in the most authentic way um, in thinking, I really need a bold vision as a leader. What is going to be the vision? I think you typically start with, there's a problem that I'm very frustrated with, or I care about a group of people and they are very frustrated with this problem. Usually comes often from a sense of something is unjust, something is unfair, and you feel compelled to support them or to support yourself it's all that and I think that is where it comes from it's I was on the launch team for lean in I really believed that women coming together and meeting in small groups was a great strategy so that was a that was a what but I was having so many conversations with women in which even though there were a lot of people around them they still psychologically were perceiving their journey as if it was a solo endeavor, not necessarily a team sport. And when I would tell them about the importance of having a crew, I'd realize that the problem wasn't that they didn't understand the concept of a lean in circle or a peer group or a crew. The challenge when I really listened to them over and over again was that they didn't have the time. They didn't have the bandwidth to curate that group. I had one woman that I met with. I used to meet women because I'm obsessed, remember, every Tuesday and Thursday at 9, 10, 11 a.m. I did this for years because I'm obsessed with listening to women's stories. And I'll never forget one woman, January 2018, I think it was a Tuesday, maybe she had a 10 a.m. slot, telling me, Tiffany, I get what you're saying about the importance of having a peer network and this whole sense of accountability. But I don't think you appreciate how difficult it is to find that group of people. And then she walked me through the workflow, Susan, of what that was, what would require. She says, I would have to get access to the cocktail party, 
core of the conference. You probably get invited to speak at these things. I'm supposed to awkwardly introduce myself to strangers, collect all these business cards. You want me to then sit down and reach out to all of these people and schedule coffees, teas, and lunches and Zooms or meetings over Cisco, WebEx. You then want me to curate them, decide who I would be compatible with, and then organize regular events where we're going to put forth our goals and intentions together. Like, I'm exhausted. I read your book, Drop the Ball. I thought you were going to make my journey easier. I have three kids. I have a mom with a diagnosis. I have a dog. I have a full-time job. And by the way, I had to take time off of my full-time job to meet you at this beautiful co-working space at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. I don't have time to find my crew. That, for me, was a Tiffany's epiphany. Some people call them aha moments. That is the light, the match that sparks a vision, right? It's oh, I see where the white space is. I see that there is a problem, but I wasn't quite getting how to solve for it. And that's where the vision is rooted. And so I think that if you are a leader, you're charged with achieving an outcome, you've got to figure out, like, what am I really trying to solve for? And either spend a lot of time talking to a bunch of people that you're trying to impact, spend a lot of time with the people on your team asking questions around, why we haven't solved for something, but also where if you see the bright spots and how can we duplicate or repeat that? Collecting data. There's all kinds of ways to get at the heart of excavation to figure out what is it that we're trying to do that is going to create impacts so that you can arrive, you know, at something bigger than yourself. Thank you for all of that. I love the example that you gave and the source was started with your curiosity and really listening, like, where is the problem? So you refine the problem and then you're like, boom, Tiffany's a pit in the end of that. Uh, I want to talk about thriving. Janet and Lynn and I ended up writing this book and we never defined what we meant by thriving. And it was purposeful slash not so purposeful. I personally believe no one else can decide what thriving is for another human being, right? What makes me feel like I'm in a moment of thriving is maybe different than you. I do believe that it's not a permanent destination. I think it's a, sometimes there are just moments or hours in the day where we might accuse ourselves of feeling like, wow, I was really thriving in that conversation, right? What's become clear to you about thriving over the course of your career and how, how did this clarity come about? So that's a good question. I think for me, thriving as a practice, it's like yoga something that centers me, but it's not something that I have all the time, 24, seven, you know, right in this very moment with you, Susan, I'm thriving. I'm thriving because I'm meaningfully engaged with another badass woman who I believe is doing work that's going to change the world. I thriving because I feel that the time I'm spending is not just an investment in you, but it's an investment in all of the people who might hear this message and listen to this message. And even if they find one small nugget that's going to help them to create a life they're passionate about, then this time would have been worth it for me. So right now in this moment, I'm 
thriving and I'm choosing to embrace this moment with the spirit of gratitude so that I can be in that. There are times when in my job, for example, as a founder and as a CEO, when it's my responsibility to really hold space for other people. And sometimes if I had an argument with my husband that day or I'm really tired that day because I stayed up till one o'clock in the morning and, and didn't get the sleep that I needed or I didn't work out. And so, you know, I've got parts of my body that are achy. It's very difficult for me to hold space for others. It's a chore and I'm not thriving in those moments. I don't feel a sense of gratitude. Sometimes I even will allow resentment to come into, you know, my space. And then I have to remind myself in the next meeting or the next moment, Tiffany, thriving is a practice. And what is it about this next, you know, phase or state that's going to allow you to be able to move forward? So I think it's something that we move in and out of. and. At the end of the day, if you really forced me to, to define it, I would say that I largely have more moments of thriving because I'm so privileged on two fronts. The first front is that on any given day, I'm only spending time with people who believe in Tiffany. Either they've joined my company because they believe in my vision and what we're trying to do to advocate and support women, or they're in my corner because they're helping me to amplify my brand, or they're a member of my family who I love dearly and I have chosen my family. Um, They're my immediate family. Not everybody who I'm related to blood in my blood is necessarily my family. So I curated a world in which I don't have the haters that I have to deal with on a regular basis. Some of them might be trolling me on social media, but I'm not interfacing with them in the real world on a day-to-day basis. That's a privilege. A lot of people spend time in the workplace day-to-day with haters, um, with people who might be have different intentions and motives. And that's a protective measure and a privilege that I've been able to surround myself with people who believe in Tiffany. But the other is that for the most part, I control my time, meaning that even though I have commitments and I'm not going to renege on those commitments, I had control of putting that on my calendar. So even though my calendar's full and it gets filled up and sometimes I feel like, oh, I have so much to do. The reality is that I was in control for the most part of that calendar. And those two privileges that I'm largely surrounded by people who believe in me and that I have so much agency over my time is reason enough to bring me to thriving in any given moment. That's my, that's Tiffany's definition. All right. Uh, I'm very inspired by that. You know, it's like you curated a scaffolding to keep you in your best self. That's what I heard you say among um, other people. This is something I don't think I see women do often enough. The hustle or winning people over who might not be necessarily in our court and Sometimes we don't realize just how much control we have over time. You know, Tiffany, I try to remind women in particular, but other 
representatives of underrepresented populations, that the reason you want to step into your best self and lead is because when you're in a leadership position, you can do more about choosing and about choice around your time and where your best effort is and who you surround yourself with. Not that you have to be in a position of leadership to do it, but certainly if you're not an entrepreneur like you, it makes it a lot easier. So um, it's one benefit I want to call out. I wrote that down, scaffolding of love. I'm gonna, I'm gonna credit you when I use that. That was so, that was so beautiful. The other, the other benefit of leadership is that this may sound counterintuitive, but you don't necessarily have to follow all of the rules. You, you leadership affords you more flexibility. And I learned this very early. I had this experience when I was in high school. I was a junior in high school and I was walking down the hallway and I heard my vice principal's voice say, what are you doing out of class? And it was such a surreal moment for me because I just kept walking. I knew that even though I heard the vice principal say that, they couldn't have possibly been talking to Tiffany Gaston, which was my maiden name. And the reason why they couldn't have possibly been talking to me is because I would never be called out by an administrator or a teacher for being out of class. Why? Because I was a student leader. I was always in student government. I was always doing something in the school. If Tiffany Gaston was in the hallway, she was in the hallway for a reason. And it dawned on me that I could use, that that was a privilege that I had, that I had flexibility as a leader. And that I could use that for good, of course, or I could use that for bad and like go, you know, to write a ramen or Dunkin' Donuts. I wasn't supposed to. But that that was the first time I thought to myself, I am going to be a leader. This is this is leadership is about taking this privilege that we have of not having to follow all of the rules and to be flexible and to create positive change. And it's why I think more people with integrity and with clear purpose for wanting to do good things in the world leaders oh gosh there's so much so much here you mentioned when you were talking about what's become clear to you about thriving over the course of your career you mentioned a few things that smelled to me a lot like self-care practices in reverse when i don't have this and when i don't have this i'm not thriving can you know one of the things that we become clear about is how important well-being is and like thriving it's not mine determined for other people can you share what your self-care practices are when you feel like, I mean, you're so self-aware. What do you know you need in order to show up with your best self? I call them micro daily habits, practices that I use. And I think all of us should have them. They're going to be different for everybody. Mine include making sure that I'm drinking plenty of water. I always have water um, to nourish myself because I get dehydrated very quickly usually within arm's distance of me at any given moment, is lavender oil. I lather myself with this pretty much after every single meeting. I do a lot of breathing. So I'll put this lavender oil on my wrist, which is what I'm doing now. Uh, if you're listening, this is what's happening. I'm sitting back in my drawer and I'm taking a very deep breath. And that centers me every single time for that particular moment. I have a shoe, um, a shoe practice that emerged in the wake of COVID when I started working and living with my family under one roof. I figured out very quickly that because I was in our apartment, everyone thought I was accessible to them. 
all of the time when before the pandemic, I would leave to go to work. So I have three pairs of shoes when I'm working from home. And now I just use them all the time, even though I now go to a co-working space. One pair of slippers is my founder and CEO slippers. When I have on these slippers, it means I'm not available to you. I have another pair of slippers that's wife and mom. When I have on these slippers, I will make your quesadilla. I will iron your shirt, whatever you need. I'm now mom and babe in that context. And then I had to get another pair because I would be doing things like reading a book or just trying to spend time with myself. And I realized they're like, well, you don't have those on the CEO slippers. You don't have the mom and dad, like what's going on? So I have just like a me time slippers. And whenever I'm in my apartment, my family looks down at my seat to try to understand like, who am I dealing with right now? I love music. I dance pretty much every night. Uh, sometimes when I get onto email at two or three in the morning, it's not because I was working. It's because I danced with a whole Lemonade album and then realized, oh my gosh, I was supposed to email that investor. So I, those are just some of my practices. Every single day, I have to prioritize doing things that are going to make me whole because I'm here to make a difference and I'm here for the long haul. And what good is you know, me in the world if I don't sustain myself? I, I spend time with women who don't prioritize themselves or who have given away so much of themselves that there's barely anything left. And I don't want to be that. Yeah, I'm so glad that's where your final thought is. Although I'm still thinking about your slipper, I'm thinking that could be an interesting play for me. It's a physical representation manifestation of psychological boundaries, actually, right? It's brilliant. Brilliant. So that you can be your best, most intentional self. You have these self-care practices. I have been talking about not leaving oneself behind lately in your journey called life and how I think we don't get extra points anywhere on some fictitious scoreboard for leaving ourselves behind. Do you see women leave themselves behind more than men, more than other genders identify? Or do you think this is a human phenomenon? Just by leaving yourself behind, what you're referring to is taking care of other people's needs before your own, prioritizing other people ambitions or dreams before your own or minimizing yours in relationship to others, then yes, I would say that it is more often than not that someone who identifies as being a woman would engage in that behavior. To no fault of her own, though, I want to be really clear about that. It's because people who were assigned girl at birth typically depending upon the culture, but typically are raised to be socially conditioned to please others and to be non-confrontational and to be performative in a way that makes it difficult sometimes for you to put yourself first, um, for you to prioritize your own well-being. Uh, so much so that we often are raised to abuse virtues. You know, there are virtues like sacrifice that weren't that that are intended to be really positive, but that 
we take to extremes by sacrificing ourselves at the expense of others and we can't really manage or take care of others because we've not maintained our own boundaries. Um, the virtue of humility, we often abuse. You know, if we have the cure for cancer or the plan to help change the world, we should stand up on a rooftop and say, I have the answer. Um, but we're often taught that is something that we shouldn't do, that that denotes arrogance. So I do think that, yes, it is true that people who identify as women certainly are going to more often leave themselves behind. But does it mean that we can't alter or change our behavior and our mindset in order to put ourselves at the front of the line? So I want to call out for our listeners how critical what Tiffany just said is to thriving, right? So I could argue that the immoderate application of what was a moderate and well-formed virtue is a blocker to thriving. It's a blocker to thriving, right? Uh, and so this is why we engage in these conversations. Tiffany, I want your final thoughts, piece of advice for our listening audience. What are you finding in a peri, I'm calling it a peri-pandemic moment. Like we're not post-pandemic, we're not pre-pandemic, we're in this like weird ongoing place. Our working reality has changed. Uh, how can all leaders thoughtfully engage in this context so we are seeing women rise and so that we're surrounded by people who are thriving? I, I feel like it's just been a hard, it's been a really hard couple of years. Any trends you're seeing emerge? Any advice you have? The trend that I would like to have, have emerge, if I could snap my fingers or wiggle my nose like Samantha and Bewitched, I just hold on, I just hold on my whole self, um, my whole generation right there, is for people to check in on one another, you know, in a, in a very intentional way. We started at the crew to ask people at the top of a meeting, whether it's a one-on-one or sometimes in a group meeting, can you just share on a scale of one to 10? Like, how are you right now? You know, how are you feeling right now? What are you doing right now? Because we were often still living in this peri-pandemic world, still virtually, we often get quickly to the agenda, to the task at hand without being intentional about infusing our interactions with the humanity that's necessary to ensure that we thrive. And so I, I wish that we would stop for a moment, take a deep breath, and just ask our colleague, how are you doing on a scale of one to 10? Tell me, you know, how are you doing? What's going on with you? So that we can get the context for whatever else is going to come next. Life happens in connection. Human, human beings want to feel valued and seen. I know that certainly I do, or people around me do. Any final thoughts or piece of advice? And I'd love it if you link back to the practice where we feature you in the book, Inspiring the Bold Vision, and or thriving. Final pieces of advice. Well, I think that I would invoke my African mother in law, who has often told me, that if things are getting easier, it's probably because you're headed downhill. That even though thriving 
seems like it should be intuitively a very positive, wonderful thing, that thriving often involves us engaging in behaviors like embracing the conflict in order for us to achieve breakthrough. The goal is not ease. Uh, the goal is progress. And so uh, I would say stick with it and just know that when it's challenging, that means that's where the opportunity is. Good. Back. Uh, so last but not least, where can listeners find you online? Oh, they can find me in so many places. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I'm at tdufu on every platform except for Twitter. I just quit Twitter. That is all cool other podcasts. <laughs> they can also reach me at Tiffany at thecrew.com and it's spelled C-R-U. Tiffany, I love every time we have the opportunity to connect like this. It's been such an honor to learn from you again and share your insights with our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.